It's showtime. Don't say it, please. Don't say it. No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime. Showtime. It's showtime, everybody. Showtime. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the newly rebranded Showtime Movie Podcast. Apologies for the delay in between episodes, but I was waiting to get some of the branding off the ground as my very talented cousin was creating a new logo for me after my very talented sister created the initial design for Houston We Have a Podcast. He did that, and I decided to talk to the hosts at Libsyn, who are very awesome at replying, and we had a good back and forth there about some details I needed to know about. So, you know, I, I contacted them, and it's all been sorted out now, so we'll be back to our scheduled, regularly scheduled programming going forward. I've moved the whole show spiel, the, the podcast spiel, but I, get, I guess it works both ways now that I say it out loud, uh, to the end of the podcast so we can have more time for movie talk now. Uh, this episode, however, is special. I've only done one single episode devoted to a film before, and that was for my one and only love, Star Wars. And, you know, you can say what you want about The Last Jedi, but I think it was exquisitely done and that it deserved its own episode. Now, I wasn't planning on doing a whole episode for Black Panther, but after I saw it last night, I can't help it. Honestly, I can't help it. It's just so amazing from the visuals to the soundtrack to the world they've built to the very ideas behind a lot of the characters themselves. And for a Marvel movie universe where a lot of things can be cookie cutter, it was really cool to watch. I will get more into that shortly, but I did want to talk about one thing before we get really in-depth with Black Panther. And that was the idea surrounding the distribution model that Netflix has created. So, of course, we all know what Netflix is. It's almost synonymous with watching streaming content on your TV now, which is pretty impressive, honestly. I almost feel like to, you know, Netflix is going to join Google as a verb soon, if if, 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 if it's not already, honestly, you know. But, you know, everyone, almost everyone has an account with Netflix. They share, you know, I share one with my, my parents and my brother and sister and my cousin, who is my roommate as well. And... Some of you may have heard when I spoke a few episodes about Bright, one of their original movies, the Will Smith Netflix movie about a world where fantastical creatures like elves, orcs, fairies, etc. are a regular part of the world today. And many more probably saw the release of the Cloverfield Paradox to Netflix, as it's called, Cloverfield 3, as we'll call it going forward. And it was kind of guerrilla marketed, let's say, during the Super Bowl. Uh, The Philadelphia Eagles knocking off my Patriots, but that's okay. My friend Arjun is a big Eagles fan. I was very happy for him. Give him a big hug afterwards. But regardless, the Cloverfield Paradox came out immediately after the Super Bowl. It was released onto Netflix as soon as the game was over. Now, full disclosure, I have yet to see the Cloverfield Paradox, Cloverfield 3, as we're going to say, like I mentioned. But it interests me greatly because, as far as I know, that's the first time a major movie has been released so immediately to audiences like that in a wide format, right? Variety is, is reporting that the film pulled in just 5 million viewers a week after the film was dropped onto Netflix following the Super Bowl. And my friend Mark Stanush, who's been on this podcast before, told me it was not so great. And I mostly trust his opinion, although he really likes that weird art game. But I won't hold that against him, neither here nor there. But Cloverfield 3 seems to be a bit of a failure for Netflix, it would seem, as opposed to Bright. Variety also reports that Netflix paid Paramount Pictures more than $50 million for the movie rights. 
because it was once known as the God particle. And I guess JJ Abrams just wanted to turn it into Cloverfield three. So he bought it and like added some Cloverfield elements to it. I, I, as far as I understand, that's the same thing they did with that Cloverfield lane movie with John Goodman. Um, from a few years ago, if you guys remember that movie, uh, it was, cause I mean, if you watch that movie, you, there's, there's nothing about it that would scream alien invasion, right? Even if the part, even in the parts, cause the movie, I guess, I guess I should provide some context. That movie, if you haven't seen it, is about this girl, you know, she leaves her boyfriend, she gets into a car accident, she wakes up, she's in an underground bunker, and she thinks she's captive by this very menacing John Goodman, and he probably should have gotten a Best Supporting, at least nod at the Oscars that year. I don't think he should have won, but he should have at least gotten nominated, I thought. But anyways, that's neither here nor there, but... There's nothing about that movie that screams alien invasion, right? Like, there's a part where she runs up from the bunker and she looks out the window and, you know, she sees someone who's, like, dying of, like, radiation sickness or she has acid burns in her face and the world looks kind of bleak, but it's mostly still there. You don't don't know until the very end of the movie what tragedy befell the world. You don't actually know, right, on the... uh, at that stage in the movie. And you really, you only really find out that there's aliens involved after she gets out of the bunker at the very end of the movie. Like in the last five minutes of this film, she gets out of the bunker and she is escaping. And then there's like a, you know, an alien thingy that wrecks the car she's in. Then in the, in the background, like, like the lightning flashes and you see like a silhouette of a gigantic alien monster, like far away. Right. And anyways, that's Cloverfield Lane. But that that if that part was taken out of the movie, if they just didn't have that movie and she just drove away, there's nothing about it that would have said it has anything to do with an alien attack, anything to do with Cloverfield 1, which was a pretty interesting movie, right? Anyways, I guess J.J. Abrams just wanted to continue that trend, so he uh, co-ops the God Particle, and it is now the Cloverfield Paradox, which I'm going to call Cloverfield 3, like I've mentioned a few times. And $50 million later, I guess he got his way, right? And for Netflix, Bright wasn't that great either, but at least it had the star power of Will Smith behind it, right? I mean, that's why I tuned in. I'm sure that's why many people tuned in. Joel Egerton is, was in it. A lot of other relatively famous actors and actresses were in it, and they, were, they weren't they were bad. It just was a kind of mediocre movie, and I, I went on, I touched on this in that review in terms of the racial aspects of it. Um, and I just wonder how much longer Netflix can keep this up. You know, they just throw money at these things, and Hope they work out. And I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. But it's something to keep an eye on, right? Because I, you know, you see all the other content that Netflix has put out, like the Adam Sandler movies. And I won't count the comedy specials because it's not really a movie, right? It's, it's not the same thing. Um, and, the, and, and, and then on another aspect of it, the TV shows are their own thing as well. Like Altered Carbon, for example, is the newest hit, I guess. And I mean, of course, when there were new House of Cards and, Orange is the New Black and other other such things were also pretty popular. But movie-wise, I don't think Netflix had a movie that's been, like, really great so far. Even though they have announced that Bright 2 is going to be coming out. And I really hope they call it, like, Brighter or Too Bright or Bright. You know what I mean? Something, like, fun like that. But, I mean, of course, knowing Netflix will just be, like, Bright, colon, the magic wand. Or Bright, colon, the elves are are here. Or the, El- the revenge of the elves, right? I don't know. Something stupid like that. And, uh... Anyways, all that to say, I think it would be interesting to see what Netflix comes out with next in the movie sphere of things because it's not necessarily gone so great for them so far. 
And I guess a part of it too is us wondering about this is because Netflix is very secretive when it comes to their metrics, right? The Nielsen system doesn't really work for them. They, Netflix claims that a lot of the popular stuff for them doesn't get accurately tracked by third-party viewers. Netflix has said that Nielsen only covers the U.S. and only detects viewership on, like, connected TV. So, like, you know, it, it only detects, like, one view for me versus watching something on watching bright for example on my my account versus my sister watching it on the same account and again i even wonder how they would do something like i like i watched bright with my sister my brother and my two cousins so that's five people who watched that movie all together on tv right so how do you measure that is netflix tracking that or rather is nielsen tracking that as one viewer for Netflix or are they tracking it as five viewers? How would they track it as five viewers? How would they know that? I would have to tell them that or they'd have to have some kind of like, maybe my TV is watching me, who knows, right? But I don't know. I guess it's interesting to see what Netflix is doing and where they're go- what they'll release next because I feel like that could potentially change the model of them bringing things so directly to theaters. And of course, we've seen, I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but we, we've heard about the idea behind Netflix competing with theaters, right? Because The Cloverfield Paradox is a movie that did not go to theaters, came straight to Netflix. I mean, it seems to be pretty bad, so it probably would have bombed in theaters anyways, but it begs the question, which I talked about in the Bright Review, would you have paid $15 a ticket to go see The Cloverfield Paradox, $30 if you're going with someone else, $50 if you're buying snacks, right? Are you going to pay 50 bucks for two people to go see The Cloverfield Paradox? Like, I I wouldn't. Definitely, I I would not. How, and I love movies, right? I love doing anything to do with movies. So I, is your average person then who maybe goes to see two or three movies in a 12-month span, are they really going to spend that much money to go see Cloverfield Paradox or Bright? Probably not. And maybe Netflix knows that. Maybe they know that, and that's why they're releasing it in the fashion they are. But I just, I just find it very interesting, the battle between Netflix and theaters. Theaters are constantly losing money we're hearing about. And Netflix is only getting more popular. And of course, there are other streaming services, not just Netflix. There's Hulu, there's Crave TV. I'm not sure if that's a Canadian-only thing, actually, Crave TV. But regardless, you know, there's Amazon Prime, there's HBO has its own thing, HBO Go or HBO Now. There's so many... CBS has that thing where... I don't even know what it's called, but CBS allows you to watch Star Trek Discovery on it. Disney apparently is coming out with their own streaming service. It's kind of funny, right? I mean, one of the reasons you cut the cable is so you don't have to buy all these different channels. And now here we are a few months later, probably going to have to buy subscriptions to Amazon Prime, Hulu, Netflix, HBO, uh, CBS, whatever, Disney, etc., right? Like, it's a bit of a pain in the ass as far as I'm concerned. But anyways, I'll wrap up the Netflix spiel now because uh, it's just something to think about, more of a musing topic than anything else. Obviously, I don't have a solution for it or uh, or any inside knowledge on what's going to happen with Netflix specifically, but I just think it's something, if you're interested in movies, to keep an eye on that situation because... It's a pretty unique situation. We don't know where, it's, where this is going to go. There's no real precedent for this, right? So I'll be interested to keep an eye on that going forward. Let's talk about Black Panther, though. I really want to talk about it. I've been dying to talk about it with people who have seen it. But of course, I mean, I'm a, I'm a lame guy. I'm a loser. I went to go see it as soon as it came out at the advanced screening, the very first one, 7.30 here in Toronto. And I think I've mentioned this before for some other movies I've gone to see the advanced screenings of, like Star Wars, obviously, and a couple of other things. But I love going to the advanced screenings, first of all, because they're so they're so fascinating to watch because everyone, everyone in that theater is super into it. 
like when we got there, I went with my friend Ashley, and the two of us sat down, and there were two empty seats next to Ashley. It was kind of like me, Ashley was on my left, and then two empty seats on her left. And we kind of were thinking, wow, I thought this this was it was sold out. And of course, as the movie was starting, because Black Panther kind of starts with a very brief prologue before it drops the Marvel Studios logo, then the movie kind of starts in present day. And right as that prologue was starting, I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? This is, this is not what I expected, right? And you, you're watching this prologue, and these guys come in and sit down next to us, and they, they're taking off their jackets, they have their phone lights on to see where they're going, and I was really annoyed because I thought to myself, oh man, here we, here we friggin' go, here we go. They're gonna, they're gonna be like bothering everyone, they're gonna be talking, and they were, they were like, oh hey man, pass me my popcorn, hey, like, can you, can you do this, and can you do that, and X, Y, and Z, and I'm kind of like, oh geez, here we go. And you know what though? Maybe because, like I said, it's the, it's, the, it's the advanced screening and everyone wants to see this version of the movie where everyone is super into it. As soon as they were settled, which admittedly took them a good few minutes, but whatever, as soon as they were settled, the movie was silent. The theater was silent. They didn't, they, no, not a peep from those guys for the rest of the movie, unless we, you know, we were laughing at the jokes, which is fine. I have no problem with that when people laugh in the theater at a, at a funny moment, of course. But you're enjoying the film, right? Like, why, would, why wouldn't you enjoy it you know, entirely? But... I, I guess it, that's just a, such a that's such a unique experience for me, and that's why I love going to the movie theater. I, I must have said that before on this podcast. Honestly, I don't entirely remember, but I love that about going to the theaters, and that's why I love going to the advanced screenings. I'll probably go see Black Panther again on Sunday with my cousin um, because I want to see I want to get a little more in depth with some of the issues just for my own sake, right? It was such a fantastic movie. I love supporting movies like that in the theaters, but now that Marvel needs it, I'm sure it's going to make uh, a bajillion dollars at the box office when, when tracking is done this weekend, right? But fantastic movie. So let's get to talking in a little more detail about Ryan Coogler's Black Panther. The music for this movie, and it's very relevant to this podcast in particular, right? Because the intro music to this episode and to all the episodes is Run the Jewels, Legend Has It, the instrumental version of Legend Has It that Run the Jewels put out there. And it's great. I love it. I love that 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 uh, song in general. I, I actually think Legend Has It was... I'm not sure if it was in the movie... But it was in the trailer. It was in the very first trailer for Black Panther. Uh, Ready for the spotlight. You know, that that was in the very first trailer, I believe. And it got me really hyped for Black Panther, which is why I chose it for the podcast back in, uh, I want to say, June, I think, when Wonder Woman came out. I think that was the first movie we did, Wonder Woman and the Mummy, I believe. But uh, it, was, it was such a fantastic, catchy song. Run the Jewels did a lot of the other soundtrack songs for this movie, along with uh, Kendrick Lamar, right? And... That to go back to what I was saying at the beginning, that song we just heard was "All the Stars" by Kendrick Lamar and SZA. SZA, S Z A, S Z A. I'm not sure actually. I want to say SZA because it reminds me of the Wu Tang Clan. But anyways, it is a great song, a little little melancholy, but I think it's a great jumping off point for the movie. Not that the movie is melancholy, mind you. It's it's a fantastic movie. It's very upbeat at times, but I guess. I just wanted to have something from the movie, and this was a pretty catchy song, I thought. Let's talk about 
some of the cons to start, actually, instead of the pros, because there are actually so few cons, it'll get them out of the way. And I'll say, the only real con <laughs> is that this movie was too short, you know? It was too short. I could have spent so much longer in the world of Wakanda, and I almost feel like I didn't get enough of it, you know? Because the, the world building they do, that Ryan Coogler, the director, does, is so good. It's so fantastic in this movie that I want more of it, you know? If you thought in Thor Ragnarok that, I believe it's called Sakaar, the planet they go to, if you thought Sakaar was colorful when you see Thor and the Hulk as Bruce Banner kind of gallivanting through the streets and you see like the Hulk festival and there's colors everywhere and things they wear and the things in the shops and the masks and the weapons and all that stuff. If you thought that was colorful, Wakanda is just as colorful. There are things on every street corner. It's this hyper-advanced city, nation, and there are just so many cool things going on in every shot. And, and I mean, we only see it a handful of times, but I, I want to watch the movie again, like I said, because I almost feel like I need to not look at Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther slash Prince T'Challa as he's walking through the streets of Wakanda. I need to look everywhere else. I need to look everywhere but him. You know, it's so, it's just so vibrantly made. I love it. It's, it's so fantastic. And the movie just didn't really explore that enough. You know, we always hear about Wakanda, Wakanda this, Wakanda that. Wakanda is a source of vibranium, which is what Captain America's shield is made out of, what Black Panther's suit is made out of. And I wanted more. Maybe that's maybe that's greedy. Maybe I'm being greedy, you know? Maybe that's the case, but I wanted more of it. The movie I would say start, let's say, I, so I went to the 7.30 show. It probably didn't actually start because of commercials and trailers until 7.45. And I looked at my phone right as the credits started to play because I needed to see what time it was, and it was 9.45, so... Almost exactly two hours, not counting the time in the credits because there are a few after credit scenes. There's two after credit scenes, of course, one kind of mid credits and one after credits. And I was a little annoyed by the after credit scene. I'll talk about it at the end of the review. It's not really a spoiler, I don't think, considering what it references, but, and you know, considering that the trailer for Infinity War is out and all that stuff, but it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a bummer in terms of after credit scenes, considering that the next Marvel movie that's coming to theaters is Infinity War in May or June or whatever it is. Anyways, big con, movie was too short. And another con, which is almost a pro as well, which is kind of odd to say, is that Chadwick Boseman as Prince T'Challa was kind of upstaged by his own supporting cast, you know? And I will, I'll list some of them for you here. Angela Bassett plays his, his mother, the queen mother. Letitia Wright, who was in Black Mirror. It was his, his amazing younger sister. I dare say she was one of the better characters in the movie. Forrest Whitaker, Daniel Kalua from Get Out. Denai Guerrera, who you probably know from The Walking Dead. Lupita Nyong'o, of course, Oscar-winning actor. And, of course, the amazing Michael B. Jordan from The Wire and other Ryan Coogler movies like Creed. He was also in Fruitvale Station. You know, some really good acting this guy has done. And he might not just be the best villain in the Marvel movies. I mean, he's obviously... He's immediately up there with Loki. And I would say the Vulture. But I might say he's the best character, hero or villain, period. Honestly, what a fascinating, fascinating guy he was. You know, I mean, of course, Martin Freeman and Andy Serkis were in the movie, too, and they were great. But ultimately, they were the side pieces to the aforementioned characters. And like I said, that con was a pro, right? That's a, that's a bit of a cheat, I would say, on my part. I cheated, didn't I? Because the supporting cast was one of the shining lights of the movie. The very brief plot of the movie, very briefly, is that Prince T'Challa, whose father 
T'Chaka, we see die in Civil War, right? He ascends to the throne. He, of course, becomes a new king. And Wakanda is the most advanced nation in the world. And it's been masquerading for hundreds of years as a poor nation. And Eric Killmonger, who is Michael B. Jordan's character, arrives in Wakanda and stirs stuff up, which I would say is putting it mildly, but I won't spoil it. And the action kind of takes off from there, right? That's the general Cliff Notes version of this movie's plot. And like I said, only real issue is that it's short. And I'll talk a little bit about Michael B. Jordan. I think he's a fantastic actor, period. I thought he was great in The Wire. I loved watching him in Fruitvale Station. He probably missed out on an Oscar nomination for Creed. And of course, of course, that was the Oscar so white year, right? So he probably should have gotten one because he acted it. He acted the his butt off in that movie, right? But and fellow uh, Marvel alum, Tessa Thompson was his girlfriend in that movie, which is kind of funny now that she's like the Valkyrie in the Thor movies. And now he, I mean, he's in Black Panther. And I don't want to spoil the motivations, but Eric is a Wakandan and who has been raised as an American. And it's so interesting to see that kind of clash with each other, his Wakandan heritage with his American upbringing and what he feels is right for the world. Because I was talking with my friend Ashley after the movie and we kind of both agreed in different ways, I would say, um, that it almost mirrors the Professor X slash Magneto relationship that Black Panther has with Eric throughout the movie. I mean, they meet for the first time in this movie. They don't know who each other are or he are, or I should say T'Challa doesn't know who Eric is before the events of the film. But once this kind of starts to get going and you, you realize there are foils for each other and they're, and they're both great actors. So it works very, very well. I honestly think it is almost like Professor X and Magneto. You know, Professor X wants to change the world via, I don't want to say passively change it, but he wants to change it via doing things the quote-unquote right way, right? He wants to do things via acceptance and having the governments support them and doing the right things in the community, right, to show that they're not threats for mutants, I should say. And Magneto wants to do things, whose name is also Eric, Lencher, uh, Magneto wants to do things via blowing things up and seizing action as, as soon as you can and like shaking, shaking the, you know, shaking the tree and see what falls out, right? Like rocking the boat, right? That's, I mean, that's putting it mildly because Magneto really like kills a lot of people and he blows up a lot of things and causes general chaos and is, a, is probably like not a great person, but he's driven by hatred while his Professor X is driven by hope, Right. And that's like, I, that's like the kind of relationship between the two of them in a nutshell, even though they respect each other and they like each other. And while I wouldn't go as far as to say Eric and T'Challa like each other and respect each other, or maybe they respect each other, but they don't necessarily like one another. But I wouldn't go as far as to say they're friends, like the Professor X Magneto thing. But I think that idea of the Black Panther being driven by hope and the... Eric or Killmonger, as they just end up calling him, as Killmonger being driven by hatred, I would say that is one of the most interesting relationships in the movie. And of course, we see some great stuff as well. I mentioned Letitia Wright as the younger sister. Um, her name escapes me at the moment, but she is just fantastic. <laughs> I, I know I said the whole supporting cast kind of steals it, but she, I think, more than anyone else does. And there's a moment where you almost kind of think she might die, 
and she does not, I'm happy to say. But in that moment, you're kind of like, oh my God, like, oh, oh my God. And Ashley kind of reached over and grabbed my arm and was like, oh my God, they're going to kill her. And I, they don't, thankfully, because she's absolutely fantastic. And I'm so excited to see her interact with the other Marvel characters going forward. But it was really interesting seeing seeing that, honestly. It was really cool. I uh, I really liked the other characters as well. Denai Gurira, I would say in particular, I, I have to say, is is particularly badass. Like, she is so friggin' cool. One of the coolest car chases in any of the Marvel movies, in any of the movies I've seen in the last five to six years, really, uh, when they're kind of fleeing through the streets of South Korea in pursuit of Andy Serkis's Claw, who we last saw in uh, Age of Ultron, I want to say. But we see uh, them pursue him down the streets of Busan, South Korea, and they just do such cool things. They're so confident and badass, and they just don't really think about the danger they're in because they're not really in any danger They're, I mean, not that they're not in any danger from a movie perspective, like they are and you, they might die and you're not really thinking about that. But what you are thinking about is the idea that they're just kicking ass and taking names. You know that saying, I'm, I'm, I'm here to kick ass and or I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum or whatever the hell that say, saying is. It's, it's relevant here because Denai Guerrera, Lupita Nyong'o, Angela Bassett, even Letitia Wright, all these women characters are just so friggin' awesome. They're really cool and they're a highlight of the movie for me. The idea of race is something that cannot be ignored with Black Panther. It's just something you have to talk about when talking about this movie because Black Panther is, of course, probably the first major black superhero to grace the screens in some time. I wrote a piece for okcool.ca that talks about how Spawn, Todd McFarlane's Spawn in 1997 and uh, Blade, Marvel Studios' own, I should say Marvel's own Blade because Marvel Studios had not been created as like a film entity yet, but Marvel's own Blade in 1998 kind of paved the way for Black Panther in terms of having black superheroes or black men being leading roles on the big screen, right? And of course, because of the massive success that Blade brought to the comic book superhero guy idea, right? And I say guy because we haven't had a lot of women superheroes, although that will be changing. Captain Marvel coming out soon, and I'm very excited to see it. And Man of the Wasp, of course, and other, you know, Black Widow and stuff. But uh, all that to say, it has been men mostly in the comic book movie world so far but anyways the black male has been the was kind of the guy were the guys who started it all i would say right and then you know a few years later in 2000 x-men came out we talked a little bit about professor x and magneto of course and patrick stewart and ian mckellen and hugh jackman as wolverine and that was smashed all the success that all the other previous films had and then of course hollywood being what it is we're like oh white guys like yeah let's continue with the white guys and then you know we had spider-man with Tobey Maguire, and then it kind of just you know snowballed from there and we didn't really get any black men or, or men of any color uh in these major roles for some t- until now right i mean i think i talked about it in the piece a little bit but who are the black superheroes that have been in leading roles between Blade in 1998 and Black Panther in 2018, right? Uh, who, like that's that, that was 20 years ago, right? And in those 20 years, who has come onto the big screen? Like what? Like Mike Will Smith's Hancock? The movie A that movie sucked, and he wasn't really he was like a, a, an alcoholic degenerate who like like reluctantly helped the average person, right? 
And then there was Will Smith again in Suicide Squad a few years ago, and he wasn't even a hero. He was a bad guy. He was a bad person. And, of course, that movie sucked as well. So there are no real significant roles for black men and men of color, people of color in the superhero world, much less the rest of the, of the movie industry, right? But we're talking about the comic book movie world here. And black Panther is the first one that has really gone out of its way. And of course I named all of those actors, right? Ken, uh, not Kendrick Lamar. He's not an actor, but he's involved in the movie, but, uh, you know, Forrest Whitaker and Daniel Kaluuya and Denai Guerrera and Lupita Nyong'o and Angela Bassett and so on and so forth. Letitia Wright. And, it's cool to see that be made a priority. Now, of course, the movie is about Wakanda, an African nation, and of course, a lot of like black people are going to live there, um, but it was really interesting to see how they portrayed it in the movie. And Michael B. Jordan's character, Killmonger, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but one of the main things he talks about in this movie is, is that Wakanda is a rich, sovereign nation sitting basically smack dab in the middle of the African continent. And... While all this other stuff is going on around them, right? Because to the world, Wakanda is a poor, isolated country that refuses foreign aid because they don't need it. You know, people kind of just live their own simple lives, you know, putting water jugs in their heads and going down to the river and fishing and farming and that kind of thing. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. But in reality, they're a hyper-advanced civilization. It seems to imply in the kind of crawl at the beginning of the movie that uh, Black Panther, or I'm sorry, that Wakanda has had extremely advanced technology, like lasers and teleportation and like fancy sonic emitters and stuff like this since like World War II, and while the rest of the world kind of catches up, and the world is catching up, they say, right? But they're still eons ahead thanks to the comet or meteor of vibranium that crash landed there thousands of years ago so i find it interesting then that killmonger's desire is to kind of not he doesn't want to level the playing field right but what he wants to do is make it better for black people everywhere right and like i said he was he was uh he's a wakandan by heritage but is a american by birth and you know uh upbringing and he is from Oakland specifically, and the prologue starts us off as him with him as a as a young boy in 1992 in Oakland, California. And of course, as a lot of people may know, the Oakland ghetto, you know, in California, is not exactly the safest of places. There's a lot of violence, a lot of crime from the police onto minorities and amongst each other itself. And of course, is a problem that continues today, but these people have been disadvantaged in every sense of the word because of the color of their skin, right? And this boy, who later grows up to be Eric Killmonger, right? He just, I don't know, it's easy to see why he would want to fight for black people when black people have been taken advantage of everywhere in the world. It's fascinating to me because the first time we see Eric in the whole movie, he's in a museum, and... He's in a museum surrounded by African artifacts that have been kind of appropriated from African nations all over the world throughout time. And he asks a white agent, I guess, of the museum, a white kind of museum guy to come over and explain some, you know, explain some, I guess artifacts, even though he, I'm sure he knows the background, she she explains it to him and kind of says, oh yes, this one was found by the, you know, British society in uh, 1800, and this one was found back in the 15th century, and so on and so forth, right? And 
it was so interesting to hear him be so dismissive of it because obviously he knows better and these are colonizers who kind of stole from his people. And that's the kind of thing he wants to do. He, he wants to go out there and make it better for black people all over the world. And he asks the question, why isn't Wakanda doing that already? Why aren't they going out there and changing the world for the better? If not for the everyone in the world, why aren't they helping other black people out even in Africa, when you know you presumably have armies of, you know, like Coney and other warlords marching around Africa and enslaving people like sexually and you know murdering people and enslaving children into their armies and doing all these things, which happen in the real world, and there's no reason to assume it does not happen in the Marvel world just because of superheroes and stuff. And it seems to imply, based on one of the beginning scenes, that this does actually happen when Black Panther kind of interrupts a military convoy in Nigeria, I believe it was. And so it's interesting because he has a point, doesn't he? Right? I mean, why isn't this hyper-advanced civilization, smack dab in the African continent, if not helping people around the world, helping their own brothers and sisters, right? And why aren't they, you know, in a world ostensibly where the conies of the world and other African warlords are going out there terrorizing other black folk and killing people and enslaving people, and doing all these bad things, and you know this is the case, you know this is the fact because at the beginning of the movie, right after the prologue, when we catch up with Black Panther for the first time, when the movie kind of starts in present day for the very first time, we see him start his mission in Nigeria, and he goes to get a friend of his and interrupts a mission she's on because she's helping like enslaved women being transported via this military convoy in Nigeria, and so you, you, you can see that this goes on. You know that this happens in the world of Marvel, right? And so you have to ask yourself, you think about it and say, why isn't Wakanda doing this? And of course, that becomes, even though at the end of the movie, like most Marvel movies, the status quo is restored, right? T'Challa does still go out of his way to try and change things. Now, my friend Ashley thinks it's perhaps naive of him to think that he's going to change things so readily, and I, I disagree with her. I do think that, at least in the context of this world of superheroes, I do think he will be able to affect some change, especially based on the the the, the level of advancement these civilization, this civilization in particular, I should say, has over the rest of the world. So I I do think that this is for the best, but it's just interesting, right? Because Eric Killmonger, even though he's the bad guy and is defeated at the end, I mean, like, yeah, you're really surprised. Even the vulture who doesn't die at the end of Spider-Man is defeated, right? I mean, every Marvel villain gets defeated at the end of their, you know, kind of solo movie, so he's going to get defeated. Uh, you know that going in. That's not a spoiler, right? But even though that's the case, he he's not wrong, right? He, he wants to fight for injustices. He just goes about it in a really backwards way and a way that would cause a lot of destruction and violence. Of course, that is a little more in line with his character when you find out about his background and the career he had chosen up until that point in terms of what he worked for and who he worked for leading up to coming to Wakanda. So it makes sense that that is the, the track he would choose. It's just obviously not the quote-unquote right way to go about affecting change in the world, right? But that's a pretty heavy topic, I will admit, the idea of all these of all these kind of changing the lives of people and it's a pretty when i say heavy i guess i mean it's not something that i i suppose you would expect from a fluffy quote unquote marvel movie right it's not you, you go to the the theater to have a good time and to laugh and to watch your favorite superheroes blow up the bad guy and so on and so forth right like i think we've talked about this before but all these superhero movies are very often just excuses there's vehicles i should say for the superhero to beat up on some nameless bad guys and then 
win the day in the end. And yeah, the Black Panther does that. And then he fights Eric and, and it's all very interesting to watch. But I guess I like this movie better because the world building behind the, the, the idea of an African nation that is so advanced that it far outstrips every other nation on earth is great. And I, I love it. And I think we need more of those unique ideas in not just Marvel movies and superhero movies, but in the cinema in general, right? Because that's the kind of stuff that will stop making people like me, who, who, who is a minority and, and black people and Asian people and, and women and stuff like that feel like they're others, right? And maybe, maybe I'm losing you here. Maybe you're not interested in, in hearing about how I feel about how other people feel, but I'm not, and I'm not black. Of course I am. I am of Guyanese heritage of Indian heritage of my, like a, a long, long time ago. But at the same time, I loved Black Panther so much more because I, I whereas the, I might not see myself on that screen, but I see something that's not a white guy on the screen, and it makes me feel like more is coming, right? More will be coming. I mentioned Captain Marvel already. That's a woman, even though she might be white, but a, a, a major woman character. That's a big step for Marvel, you know? We, we hear about the comics and we hear about who the new Iron Man is and it's a woman, a black girl. We hear about the new Captain Marvel and it's like an, a, an Indian Muslim teenager and you hear about all these things and I, I, I feel like eventually one day Kevin Feige, the head of, the, of Marvel Studios, will probably get there. It's not coming anytime soon. But seeing things like Black Panther and then in discussion to that, seeing the response to Black Panther and how everyone loves it. It's sitting at 97% last I checked on Rotten Tomatoes. All the reviews are just stunningly good. And we didn't talk a lot about in this review about the cinematographer, but some of it is so cool. When Eric first walks into the throne room, the camera is upside down and it slowly turns right side up as he walks into the throne room to symbolize the, you know, Wakanda's worldview being turned upside down by this interloper. I mentioned the scene with the uh, museum, like Dawson, I guess, when, you know, it's you no know, instead of, oh, and, I, and the thing I didn't mention about that scene is that the walls are white, right? And you have this one black guy walk in and kind of destroy the place and turn everything on its head. And, you know, he has some great lines like, hey, auntie, and what's up, right? And I don't know, it's just such a fantastic character, such a fantastic action and, and, and humor and music. And the cinematography is great. And it's just, I, I dare say it is one of the best Marvel movies for not just its plot and its characters, but it's, it's daring and inventiveness. That's what I would say about it. It's just so awesome of a time at the movie theater while also going after these issues of race and poverty and haves and have nots. And I think that's a great thing for a movie to explore. And I hope Marvel continues to do that going forward. And I hope it trickles down to other cinemas in general. I, I honestly do. I'm not going to hold my breath, certainly, but I think if the response to good movies like this continues, then we'll get more movies like this, right? They'll say, yeah, people want a Black Panther 2. People want a Captain Marvel. People want a Black Widow character and so on and so forth, right? So that's what I'm looking forward to, I guess, the most about Black Panther. And if you like any, if you like fun, if you like to have fun, you should go see the Black Panther in theaters as soon as possible. That's it for me today on this episode of the Showtime Podcast. Episode 16, although it is, I guess, technically the inaugural episode of It's Showtime, right? But whatever, it doesn't really matter. 
episode 16 is what we're going to go with. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Black Panther review. I really hope you go see it. Honestly, if, if you don't go see any other, other of the movies that I've reviewed, I mean, I still think The Shape of Water is probably the best movie I've seen this year, but Black Panther... I feel like will appeal to a, a very wide variety of people. So you should really go see that movie. I, I really hope you do. And leave me some feedback. You can interact with me on Twitter. I like getting feedback there. Instagram as well. Both of them is SNS Alley, which is spelled S-N-S-A-L-L-I. So definitely come on and, you know, send me a tweet or send me a, a, a you know, Instagram message. Maybe, maybe not Instagram DM because I, I think that's kind of weird, right? But you can also interact with the show itself on Twitter specifically, which is at Showtime Movies, which is spelled S-H-O-T-I-M-E Movies. Show obviously being my name, Showtime Movies. You'll see my little brown avatar kind of gesturing as I do, as I'm doing right now. I'm gesturing in that same way right now, like just gesturing, you know, anyway. So <laughs> um, that's how you can interact with me, though, on Twitter, Instagram, with my personal account or with the movie account, of course. I write sometimes for OK Cool which is a website run by the awesome Riley Little. It's uh, at OKCool CA. OK is spelled O-K-A-Y, cool C-A, on Twitter. Interact with me anyway. I love hearing from you guys. It's always really fun. That's it, like I said. This has been episode 16 of the Showtime Movie Podcast. Good night. Good night.